Thanks, Daniel. Well, my name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside, and it's my joy to welcome all of you here as well this morning. I want to take a look at a story that we've looked at a number of times over the years. It's a wonderful story, and I want to take a look at it. It's from John chapter 13. Uh, Several reasons why I want to take a look at it. First of all, it is just a a great story, a great lesson for us, a great picture of what it means to be disciples of Jesus. Second, it's it's got a one another in it. Since this fall, we've been uh, taking a look at some of the one another's in Scripture where the the Bible calls us in the community of faith to love one another, to accept one another, to uh, forgive one another, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens. And this has got a one another in it. And then the third reason I want to take a look at this this morning is that at our 11 o'clock service, we're going to ordain Eric O'Connell. He's our youth pastor here, but now he will be an ordained youth pastor. And 28 years ago when I was ordained here, my brother Dave preached on this passage. And so I thought it would be an appropriate one to to kind of challenge Eric with as he uh, is ordained into the ministry this morning. And so uh, I think for all of us, it's a really good lesson. It's a story that takes place in the upper room on the night before Jesus was crucified. Uh, Jesus is gathered there with his disciples, and they're there, and uh, they're going to celebrate the Passover, okay? They're going to celebrate the Passover. It was the holiest meal for Christians. It was, uh, for the Jewish people, rather. It was the holiest meal that they had. It was a time where they remembered and they celebrated how God had rescued his people out of Egypt and how he brought them into the promised land. And so this was a very special night for Jesus and his disciples, and for Jesus especially because, again, this is the night before he was betrayed. Now, Richard Foster says something really interesting. He says that at a certain point in the evening, in a certain point in the evening, there would have been a fair amount of tension in the room. There would have been something going on that everybody would have been thinking about. It Probably everybody would have been thinking about it, but nobody would have been talking about it. Everybody would have been looking for, at everybody else, wondering when somebody is going to make a move. The meal would have been prepared. The room was all set. And, and perhaps by this time already, they were gathered around the table. Now, again, they wouldn't sit at tables on chairs like we do. They'd, they'd lay down. They'd recline. They'd, they'd lie down on their left arm, and they'd eat with their right arm. They'd have their feet away from the table. And, and as they're there, <clears throat> again, maybe already all sitting down around the table, they would have maybe gathered on all the sides of it. They all take a moment and they look at each other. And it's awkward. And everybody's waiting. Because you see, before the meal can begin, somebody's got to do something. Before the meal can begin, somebody's got to wash everybody else's feet. This is the Passover, and you can't, you can't celebrate the Passover with dirty feet. I mean, it was part of the ritual. It was part of the cleansing. Somebody needed to wash everybody else's feet, and nobody wanted to do it. <laughs> nobody wanted to do it. Everybody was looking around at everybody else and, and, and just kind of waiting, saying, you know, uh, hello, come on, why don't you get up? Do this. Now, before we kind of judge them, we should remember a few things. We should remember that, that, that everyone was really dog-tired. They were so wiped out. The last few days had been unbelievably intense. Jerusalem at this time had a population of three or four times its normal population, so you know what it's like shopping on Black Friday. That was Jerusalem, right? It's, everybody's bumping into each other. Everybody's pushing each other. They're tired. They're worn out. They've been walking back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem all week. They've been dealing with the religious leaders. It's been frightening. It's been tense, and everybody is just there going, I'm too tired. I need to just relax. Everybody was too tired. That was part of the reason. It was also, let's be honest, a disgusting job. If I had let you all know, and we're not going to, but if I had let you all know, if I had said, you know what, we're going to wash each other's feet this morning, some of you would not have come. 
Because you, I just don't do that, man. I don't do people's feet. They're gross. They're dirty. And, and let me tell you something. Think about this. You think our feet are dirty? You think our feet are gross? Imagine again in Jesus' day. We have steel-toed boots. We have socks. We have shoes. We have all this stuff. We wash our, we wash our feet. I was thinking about that. I thought, you know what? If we did a foot-washing thing here, all of you would wash your feet ten times before you got here, right? They didn't do that in that day. They were wearing sandals. They were walking along dusty roads, and they didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have antifungal creams. They didn't have foot deodorants. By the time a guy was 30 years old, his foot would be, feet would be calloused and gross and crooked and bent. And you want to, I mean, it would just be a really gross job. And frankly, nobody wanted to do it. It was a disgusting job. Everyone was tired. And while they might not have said it out loud, they would have been thinking what little kids think, uh, what little kids say and the rest of us think. It's somebody else's turn. It's just not my turn. I mean, come on, Matthew hasn't done anything today. I set the table. I did this. I did that. And John, he hasn't been really busy. He's just yakking with Jesus, just talking and so on. And these guys aren't doing anything. It's not my turn, and, and, and maybe kind of along the way, it's never my turn. That's just not something I do. I just, some of them maybe didn't even kind of, they knew somebody had to do it, but they never thought they might be the one to do it. It was just somebody else's job. Foster suggests, though, that there was another reason, that these were parts of it, but there was another reason, a deeper reason, why nobody wanted to get up from that table, why nobody wanted to wash everybody else's feet. You see, doing that was a signal it was the smallest person's job. And I don't mean the shortest person's job. I mean the smallest in terms of stature. It was the lowest person on the totem pole, the lowest person in the pecking order. It was not a job for the least. It was a job for the least of the least. It was a job for the very least. It would be done by a slave. And even among the slaves, apparently, they would, they would make it clear it would be the worst slave, the lowest slave, the, the most recent slave. It was the low guy on the totem pole that had to do this. In fact, it was considered so low, so demeaning, so, so just down there, that if you had a Jewish slave and you were a Jewish person, you could not make a Jewish slave wash your feet. Okay? You could get a Gentile slave to do it, but you couldn't. It was such a, just, just such a low job, and it was such a statement that it's so demeaning that you, wouldn't make, you couldn't make a Jewish person do it. And in a culture that did not treat women well, they said women cannot, a husband cannot make his wife wash her feet, his feet. Okay, uh, I mean, they, they didn't care a lot about it. <laughs> Women didn't have a lot of rights, but that was one. This job was so small. It was so demeaning. It was so dehumanizing. It was so dehumanizing. You see, what Foster points out is that part of the problem is the disciples are there. And as they're looking, that part of the problem was really pride. We don't ne- recognize it or think about it right but part of it was just kind of saying, no, I am not the least. I'm not the lowest. I'm I'm not that one. And they didn't want to do that. And we need to think about pride. Because whether we like to admit it or not, and most of us like to think it's not a problem for us, but pride is a big problem. And you'll see a twist on it here that I think is just powerful. It challenges me in a deep way. Again, I've never been uh, raised chickens myself. I was not raised on a farm or anything. But I have been told, and I think it's true, scientists have actually studied this stuff, that if you do put 10 chickens in a pen together, they will begin to establish a pecking order, okay? And, and they'll determine who's chicken number one and who's chicken number two and who's chicken number three and who's chicken number four all the way down to chicken number ten. And that will determine who eats when and how much each chicken can eat. I mean, they will all know. They will establish a pecking order. Now, I have never seen this done with chickens, but I've seen it done with pastors. You put five pastors in a room 
And pretty soon we'll know who's chicken number one. Pretty soon we'll have it established who's chicken number two. Now we will do this with smiles on our faces, but we will establish a pecking order, and it will not be from top to bottom. It will just be slide side with just a little bit lower. Just a little bit lower. And, and we'll do it with a series of questions. One of the first ones is always, well, how big is your church? Bigness wins. We have this many people attending. You're the big chicken. You win. There are other questions. Where did you go to school? Oh, you went, you didn't. Oh, oh, I went to Princeton. Yeah. What can I say? Where did you go to school? And even on the other end, in fact, maybe especially on the other end, pastors four and five, they're fighting. And what pastor four says to pastor five is this. So you're the youth pastor. Ah, yes, because you know, that's, sorry, Eric, but I mean, that's, right. You want to know who's along there? It's, it's the youth pastor. And we do that to each other, and we establish a pecking order, and we know where we fit, and we know that we're better than everybody else, or we're worse than everybody else, or we're somewhere in the middle. And pride is what pushes us. Now, here's what's interesting about this story, okay? What, what, what Foster points out that I find just fascinating, he says, and I think he's right, for most of us, and I think it's true for most of us here, most of us here are not worried about fighting to be the big chicken. Most of us are willing to say, you know what, I don't need to be the greatest, I don't need to be number one. I don't need to be that. But he said, you know what? There's fighting on the other end. And sometimes what we're really about saying is, yeah, but I'm not the worst. I'm not the least. I'm not not number one. I don't need to be number one. And I think sometimes, though, uh, that's not where pride hits us. Where pride hits us is saying, yeah, but I'm not below that person. Yeah, but I'm still better than that person. I'm still stronger than that person. I'm still more important than that person. You know, Eric is ordained, but he's still going to be a youth pastor, so don't forget that, right? I mean, it's a, and, and we do these things, and it's like, yeah, I might not be the greatest, but, but I'm not the least. And that's the fight the disciples were having, okay? That's the fight the disciples were having. They weren't having a fight about who was number one. They'd had that fight in the past. They'd struggle with saying, who's the greatest? This is a fight about saying, okay, who's the least? Who's the lowest? Who's the weakest link? Who's the one way down there? So they waited, and they looked, and Jesus gets up. He, Jesus, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, who is definitely chicken number one, says, friends, we don't play pecking order games in the kingdom. What we do is we serve each other. What we do is we love each other. And he gets up, and he just goes to those feet, and he starts to wash them gently and lovingly. And graciously. And he gets done and he invites us to do the same. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand? Do you get it, what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, chicken number one, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Let's, you know, he doesn't worry about that, but yes, I, I am your teacher. I am your Lord. But he says, get this. Now that I, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. And that's, that's a one another. 
You should wash one another's feet, Jesus says. This is how you treat each other. You, 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 you serve each other. You do the worst job for each other. You pick each other up and you do those sorts of things. Jesus says, I have set an example for you. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And, and that's the call this morning. Wash one another's feet. As I said, there are some churches that do that literally. And in some ways, and in some ways I, I think that's really cool. I do. But in other ways, I think it's kind of easy because I'd rather wash your feet than genuinely serve you. <laughs> I'd rather wash your feet and get a 30-second you know, dirty job out of the way than actually become a servant. But that's the call here. Jesus says, serve one another. Do the dirty jobs for one another. Throw away the pecking order. This is so hard for us to do because it is so ingrained in our culture. It is so ingrained in our relationships. In almost every situation you're in, think about it. I mean, how often don't kids argue about which one is the favorite? I was, by the way, but, you know, there was only, you know, there was no pecking order in our family. There was me and everybody else, right? I mean, it was just, but no, I mean, kids argue about that in their families, in the classroom, on a sports team. Who's number one? Who's most important? Who's least important? You don't matter. You're not one of us. And, and, and we got to just throw away the pecking order. When we are in Christ, we get our ego, we get our love, we get our value from him, and we are allowed to then say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I can love you. I can serve you. I can wash your feet. Throw away the pecking order. Stop worrying about if it's fair. Stop worrying about if it's fair. So often that's our, you know, we're into justice. You know, I I think biblically I'm called to be into justice for you and not into justice for me. What I'm into being for me is a servant. What I'm into being for me is to say, I don't care if it's fair or not. I want to wash your feet. I want to, ta- I want to clean up the mess. I want to take care of this problem. S- stop worrying about it's fair. Stop thinking that this job is beneath us, or that we have more important things to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in, in Germany during World War II, and he led a community of professors and pastors and some students, and they lived together, and they did life together, and they studied together, and, and it became a very close community. And Bonhoeffer was the leader, one of the main leaders of this group. But he talked about what it means to live in community. And he says this, two things that are really important. First, he says this, he says, nobody is too good for the lowest service. If Jesus can wash the disciples' feet, I can certainly wash yours. If Jesus can wash my feet, there's no job that's below me, okay? Friends, in Christ, there is no job that's below us. As Christians, we don't play that game. There is no job that is too small. Nobody is too good for the lowest service. And when we start to say, yeah, but my time is so important, Bonhoeffer goes on, and again, this is just amazing what he says. It just killed me this week. He says, one who worries about the loss of time that such acts of service involve. I don't have time to pick up the chairs. I don't have time to clean up that mess. I don't have time to make coffee. One who worries about the loss of time that such acts of service involve is usually taking the importance of his own career too seriously. Because I'm tempted to say, you know what, I've got important work to do. You go do that. I've got work that only I can do. Jesus was going to be crucified. Jesus has some of the most important words he needs to speak to his disciples. But what does he do? He says, let me show you something. And by that act, by that deed, he preaches a powerful sermon. And sometimes when we get so worried about saying, well, that's just, I just don't have the time for that, we need to remember that Jesus, shortly before his death, with some of the few minutes he had left, they were counted. I mean, you could count the minutes he had left. It was not that many. By noon the next day, he was on the cross. He used those minutes to wash feet, to quietly just love somebody in need.
That's what Jesus is talking about. He says you've got to serve. And, and I think Jesus is calling us to be servants, not just to serve. He's calling us to become people. Sometimes I think what we're tempted to do is to say, you know, I'm an important person, but I also serve. No, I'm a servant, whatever my position is in any hierarchy. That's what we have to become. We are not just people who serve. We are servants who have other things to do. And I'm a servant more than anything else. Just serve. Now, if that's not hard enough, and it is, it gets a little worse. Because I want to suggest that Jesus teaches us to serve with love and joy. To not just wash the feet, but to do it with love and with joy. Because when Jesus went around to those disciples, he would not have been doing what I would have been doing. and say, you dogs, you guys, I can't believe you did this. I guess I'm the only one who gets it around here. You know, you know what? I think when Jesus took each one of those feet, I think he looked into the eyes of that person. And Jesus is looking up. Imagine that. Jesus looking up at you. Jesus is looking up and just saying, I love you. At the beginning of this chapter, this is what John tells us. John 13, verse 1, before he tells this story, he says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows what's going to happen. And then John says, this is what he does. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the rest of the story is a story of love. And when Jesus served, he loved And I have to confess, too often when I serve, it is not with love and it is not with joy. Too often I serve with at least a tinge of bitterness because you should be doing this or because nobody else is doing this, because I'm the only one who cares, because I'm the only servant. I don't think Jesus was mad at anybody. I think he was sad because they they, they so often missed it. And and so I think, but I think more than anything else, he just was saying, but I love you so much. I know you missed it on this one, but I love you so much. I want to do this for you. Can I serve with that kind of love? Can I serve with that kind of joy of saying this is a wonderful opportunity for me to do this? To not be bitter, to not be angry. I mean, that's where I say it gets real tough. It's one thing to say, okay, I made the coffee when nobody else would. (laughs) I, I did that when nobody else would. I cleaned up my sister's room. But now to say I have to do it with a smile on my face? That's true servanthood. That's when we become a servant, when we're willing to do that. Sometimes sometimes I serve, but I do it with that bitterness. And sometimes I serve for my own sake. You see, this is one that's really tough for me because I like to serve as long as you notice. The odds of me doing the dishes after dinner are higher if somebody else from church is there. And I was thinking about it, and I thought, if I came in here on a Saturday, I often do, and if if the custodians had been through and everything had been clean, but somebody came and and left a mess, I would clean that mess up. But you know what would be the hardest thing in the world? Not cleaning the mess up. The hardest thing in the world would be preaching and not telling you about it. Or going through a staff meeting and keeping my mouth shut. And just letting it be an act of service. Because if I do that, I want you to know I did it. And, and, And I realize so often I'm serving not for your sake, I'm serving to prove I'm better than you because I'm much more like Jesus than you are. Having loved his own, in the wor- who, uh, his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And he invites us to be servants. And when Eric is ordained, he's ordained as a servant. And, and pastors here need to be servants. And where I am not, please talk to me about it. Next week, we're going to talk about speaking the truth in love. Talk to me about it. 
How do we become loving servants? Let's close with this. How do we grow deeper in our service? I think the temptation, the temptation is to say, what I got to do is convince myself that I am the lowest scum, that I am beneath all of you, that I am the worst human being who ever lived, and therefore everybody else is better than me. In a sense, what we're tempted to do is to say, I'm chicken number 10. What I have to remind myself is that I'm chicken number 10. I'm chicken number 10. Once I understand I'm chicken number 10, then I will serve you because I got no options. Once I understand that's not going to work. It's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible teaches us. That's not Jesus. So I say Jesus knew what was happening. He knew all authority had been given to him. He knew he was going to rise from the dead. He knew who he was. He knew he was God, and yet he served. It wasn't like he did this, and then in spite of this, he did this. He served. No, because he was God, he served. Because of that, because of that. You see, the, the way I become a better servant is not by hating myself more. I am convinced that the way I can become a better servant is it's by understanding what Jesus has done for me. We learn to serve by letting Jesus wash us. You see, something interesting had happened during the foot washing that I skipped over. I want to come back to it now. Jesus went to the disciples and and, and again, I, I, I think about that. Imagine yourself in that situation. I would imagine they had all sorts of different feelings. Some of them were like, oh man, I feel so stupid. I should have done that. I feel so stupid. Some of them, I think, would have been angry. Zach, you should feel so stupid because you should have done it. And Peter just says, this can't happen. This can't happen. In verse 8, John 13, verse 8, Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. You are the Lord. You are the teacher. You are the master. You are chicken number one. You are the greatest. You are God himself. You will never wash my feet. You will never do that. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, You have no part with me. Unless you let me love you. Unless you just receive my grace. Oh, that's tough. At the end of the day, I might hate to wash your feet, but I'd rather be able to wash yours than have to know you wash mine when I can't wash yours. I'd hate to depend on you that much. I'd hate to think that you were that important to me. But Jesus says, friends, you've got to understand something. Unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Unless I die for you. You can't return this gift to Jesus. You can't equal it out. You can't make it fair. But all you can do is let him love you. And when you do that, it sets you free. Peter says, then Lord, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. If I have, if I have this to be a party, then God, then do everything. Then do it all. Because I so much need to be with you, Jesus. We learn to be servants by letting Jesus wash our feet. You see, here's what I think happens. When I am changed by, when I am secure in God's amazing grace, when I am aware of that, when I am deeply secure in God's amazing grace, then I am free to serve. When I am aware that he'll take care of me, then that's why I don't have to worry about the packing order. Because guess what? It doesn't matter if you think I'm number 10. Jesus said he loves me. It doesn't matter if you think I'm not as important as you. Jesus says he loves me. It doesn't matter if you think that your church is bigger than mine. Jesus says he loves me. God bless you. And you see how if we can understand this amazing act of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and then rising again, if we can understand the security, the love, the joy that that can give us, it sets us free from so many stupid games we play. It sets us free from having to prove we're somebody. It sets us free from having to be above anybody else. It sets me free from having to to, to prove I'm right and you're wrong. It sets me free to serve.
I don't always get that right. Maybe it's more true to say I don't often get that right. But it's the invitation of Jesus to me today. And and I want to suggest that when we do this, when we wash one another's feet, when we serve the people around us, if you go to work tomorrow and you say, I'm going to make the coffee, I'm going to clean up the coffee, I'm going to pick up your mess. When you serve the people around you, you are becoming what God created you to be. Because God created us in his image, and God is a servant. God is about love. God is about giving himself away. And when we wash others' feet, we are becoming what we were created to be. And that is the coolest thing in the world. To become who God created us to be, set free from our selfishness by the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So see who you might serve this week. Go to work tomorrow and make the coffee or bring coffee to somebody who would be shocked to have you bring coffee. Think of the worst job that your spouse has. Think of the worst job around the house that your spouse, the one she or he hates the most, and do it for a week or a month without talking about it. See how long you can last before you say, did you notice? Can you imagine, I mean, try to live, could you imagine trying to live the rest of your life without those words? If we could never again say, did you notice? And we simply served and said, God saw enough. Friends, Jesus gave his life and showed us the heart of God. Let's learn. Let's learn to serve because he will take care of us. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that Jesus died for us. And we pray that, that we will live out of that freedom, that we will know the depth of, our, of your love for us, the depth of the joy that we can have, and be set free from all these things that we do in order to make sure that people know we're important. Father, teach us to serve. And as in our next service, we set Eric O'Connell aside as somebody who will be ordained to the ministry of the word. As we call him to that position, Father, fill him with joy at his accomplishment, but even with a deeper sense of service that, that he is called not to be chicken, number one, but called to be a servant. Father, we thank you for the gifts that you've given Eric, and we pray that you'll bless him, bless the young people here at Hillside to whom he ministers, and to all of us as he ministers to us. And we pray your richest blessing on us as a church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.